0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me as we get started in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. This is our introductory class for the next era. So uh, we'll be kind of giving an overview of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth and giving some study uh, uh, points related to this period of time from 1406 to 1050 BC as we work our way through essentially from the conquest to the, uh, to the crowning of King Saul. And uh, that'll introduce era number four once, once there is a united kingdom. Before we do get started tonight, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, once again this evening it is our pleasure and our blessing to assemble together. We thank you for the grace that allowed each one of us to be here tonight. Father, uh, especially with the the rising gas prices the way they are, but Father, you you brought us all here, so we thank you for it. Father, uh, we ask for your blessing upon our study, that you would hedge us about and protect us, hinder anyone that would want to come in here and bring us to harm or stop what we're doing. Father, just allow for your, your children to be blessed by your truth. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Before we do get to this material, though, it is Wednesday night. We want to uh, take some time for some questions and answers. Did somebody come up here and swipe the microphone, evidently? There we go. All right, so microphone is ready to go. Did you do that while I was praying, or you did that earlier? Okay, because there was a microphone up here at 7.15, but okay. Um, I don't believe I have any that came in by email. I can check my, uh, I don't recall adding any. It's been a couple of weeks, so yeah, there's nothing in the file there. We can take new questions then, if we have new questions tonight. Man, two weeks in a row, you guys have been very uh, easy on me. This is amazing. All right, so... We got a question there. Let's bring the microphone over here. There we go. Okay. Sorry, you mentioned in the last lesson that something to the effect that the law was, or the scripture said the law was ordained by angels. Uh I didn't understand that. Yeah, so the law as ordained by angels, and we talked about the presence of the angels at Mount Sinai, uh, the fact that they were uh, bearing witness to that which God was revealing to Israel as the covenant nation. Um, There's a couple of other references, there's only two uh, references in the New Testament one in the book of Acts, one in the book of Hebrews that touches upon that. Uh, but the angels are largely invisible in Exodus in, uh, in Exodus 19, 20, all throughout the building of the tabernacle you don't see any angels there. You do read about uh, thunder you read about fire, you read about wind, but it's only in the commentary of that event, the biblical commentary, like from the book of Psalms from Deuteronomy, we saw the Deuteronomy text last night, and I think it was chapter thirty-three in the Song of Moses, um, and then Acts and and Hebrews. So, does that answer what you were asking? I just didn't the word ordained. Ordained, okay, yeah. They didn't it. They didn't. No, they didn't create it, and they didn't. They're not the origin or the source of it, and and it may be their ordained is not the best term for that. That might be. Um, as ordained by angels. Yeah, let me find that, because I think that's in uh, Galatians 3, maybe? Yes, Galatians three nineteen. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels. So I'm going to go ahead and add a note to that. Make this a Wednesday evening question. All right. Yeah. Diatasso. So I'm going to add a note to that as well. Bring up Dia Tasso. So, Tasso we understand because Tasso is used in a lot of terms. It means to, to appoint, it's a military command. But then there are compounds of Tasso that are used in a lot of applications. And uh, Dia Tasso specifically has 16 New Testament usages. And look how colorful that is, okay? Just at the first glance, when you see all those colors blue, red, orange, and all the, all the way around. The fact that it has has that many colors means there's that many different translations, that many different ways that it's brought across in the New Testament. So in, uh, in these places it's rendered as direct or directed. Here it's commanded, ordered in those verses, arranged in those verses, giving instructions in Matthew eleven one, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities, uh, giving orders. Luke eight fifty five, her spirit returned and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And then the only place in the in the whole New Testament where Diatasso is translated as ordained, is this this. Puzzling text here in in galatians three nineteen so um, yeah, so it 's probably an obstacle for how we deal with this, and I forget what I did with it when I taught this in Galatians because we did teach Galatians once upon a time, but the uh, don 't think of it in the sense of like a pastor getting ordained or a priest getting ordained or the ordination to the ministry or something along those lines. I would not be comfortable with with even the word ordained in that context, given that we have direct command order. Arrange, instruct, things of that nature. That's that's where I would go with that term in that passage. So, anyway, I'm going to make a note to myself since I have tagged this. I'm going to color this red and say, prepare a better answer for next week. Right. Instructed, okay. Pastor Bob, Acts 7.53 uses ordained by angels also. I don't know if it's a different word. You who receive the law as ordained by angels. And so, yeah, that's a cognate noun. Diatage, so let me add an anchor to that. And all right, and I'll add an anchor to that. There we go. Now it's colorful, can't be missed. This, by the way, if you if you were observing while well, what I was marking these here in the note file, um, you can have any number of notes, an infinite number of notes, fundamentally. I mean, on any verse, on any word, on any part of a word, on any element, and then not only can you have multiple notes on one word, you can have one note anchored to multiple places. And so that's what I just did here, was I added, uh, basically I've got four anchors now on uh, this one note, and this one note says, prepare a better answer for next week. But I put all four of those anchors on the verses, on the English word and the Greek word of those verses, so... um, yeah and you can this can become very helpful in in a lot of different studies if if you have one particular note that applies in a lot of different places just start adding anchors to uh to that note and you'll uh you'll see how how helpful that actually is okay we have a question at the desk yes this one came in through youtube do we have any idea who was the author of the book of judges i see samuel claimed most often question from wesley beck Okay, excellent. Hi Wes. Good to good to hear from you tonight. Um Yeah, it's, it technically it's anonymous, but uh the almost universal tradition going back to the rabbinic era uh is Samuel. Um uh there's frequent discussion about the, the relationship between Judges and Ruth, for example. Um we'll we'll discuss that in fact I'm gonna bring that up tonight as we introduce Joshua, Judges and Ruth. So yeah, I would I don't have any reason to dispute the, the Samuel tradition, and if it's not Samuel, then uh, I'm up for other suggestions. Same thing too, by the way, um, there's a lot of books that, you know, we don't really know. Technically they're anonymous, um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the traditions that we have are old enough and have been left unchallenged for centuries that, you know, it's good enough for me. It's a good question, I appreciate that. Other questions tonight? I just realized too that I have my Galatians notes available right here. If I pull up Bolander Galatians, there's my notebook. And I go to uh, Galatians, three nineteen. There we go. Why the law then? Ordained through angels demonstrates the observational benefits to the angelic realm when the contrasting existence of conditional and unconditional covenants are displayed. Ah. Hebrews 2 2. That's right. Some pastors place Hebrews 2 2 in this context as well, which I actually do not. But, um, yeah, Acts 7, 1st. Uh, Ephesians 3.10, we know that they observe, they're watching us. 1 Peter one twelve, revealed to them things into which angels long to look, for example. Um, the angel, yeah, so Mount Sinai who is with the fathers, received living oracles to pass on to you. Yeah, so, yeah, they uh, the observational benefit ordained by angels. I think Yeah, I'll have a better answer for next week, but I'm glad I reminded myself of that. Thank you, Lord. Okay, last call for tonight's questions. Going once, going twice. All right. Well, let's uh, thank you for those. All right. the book of josh you don't have to type in the whole word joshua just type in enough of it i think j o s is sufficient as well i'll take you there all right we have arrived now to era number 3 and uh, day 84 this is day 84 in our through the bible reading calendar and as we've said several times, there are not 365 daily readings because uh, there are seven eras that are broken down. And when we go through those era headings, each, each time an era is introduced, there's actually not a uh, Bible reading assignment for that day. So 365 minus seven, there's 358 reading assignments for the year and then seven headings. And this is now the third time we've come to one of those such headings. And uh, this is going to introduce one of the shorter headings, uh, the the shortest we've had so far just in terms of the number of days reading, for example, because it's going to start here on day 84 and it's going to take us down through day 103. So there's really only 20 days of reading in this particular era um, in which we're covering the period of time from the conquest to the uh, the kingdom, to the United States monarchy. And that's what era four is, the united monarchy. That one will be longer uh, as that essentially takes us through uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. And taking us through Saul, David, and Solomon means also many of the Psalms and Proverbs and and, uh, Solomon's, uh, Song of Solomon and so forth. So you can expect that one's going to be longer. And then surprisingly, the divided kingdom is longer than the united kingdom, longer than the united monarchy. And so that's, and maybe, I, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but but that will be the longest section that we get to yet taking us through the uh, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all the way from the division all the way down to the uh, Babylonian captivity. So by the time we get to exile we're already through the summer. We get, it's September 1st that we'll be introducing the the exile itself. So that just kind of gives you a, a big picture of the big picture. Era 3, Possessing the Promised Land, 1406 to 1050 BC. I accept that as, as valid dates. Um, covering Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Also some selections from 1 Samuel. Really it's the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel. And then uh, an assortment of passages that are parallel there from 1 Chronicles. As we survey this era titled Possessing the Promised Land, we will get an overview of what happened with Israel in this time frame. The Bible books that report on this era include Joshua, Judges, and Ruth along with 1 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Our focus will be on Israel's possession of the land of Canaan in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. I mean all this time now from January till tonight this has been the promised land. Well now the promise becomes reality because they will be entering into it and they will be living in the land that God had promised to them. The backdrop is that God delivered the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage after which they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years while en route to the promised land. Now they were on the edge of that land and the conquest of it was about to begin under Joshua's able leadership. The book of Joshua written by Joshua between 1405 and 1385 BC. Joshua is Moses' assistant leader during the Exodus and the desert wanderings. We've seen that in several episodes. He was an extremely effective military commander and leader and for this reason he was a natural successor to Moses. This would have been when Joshua was about 90 years old. Again I might dispute, uh, I think Caleb could have been a, a mighty fine successor in his own right. and I'm, a big, I'm huge on Caleb I'm a big fan of Caleb and that'll come out in some of the Caleb episodes that we see in uh, not only Joshua but also the early chapters of Judges. Um, anyway I'm not knocking Joshua, he's, he's fine. Uh, Joshua was one of the only two Israelites who had left Egypt that would enter the promised land because he had faith and courage to trust God. They were the spies, the two out of the twelve spies that had gone to scout out the land from Kadesh Barnea. Joshua would certainly need this kind of faith and courage while leading the Israelites in conquering Canaan. His name is a shortened form of Yahoshua, which literally means the Lord is salvation. The Lord's salvation would be evident in bringing victory over the inhabitants of Canaan. The book of Joshua has a simple outline. Uh, The book focuses on Israel's entering the land of Canaan, Israel's conquering the land and dividing the land among the twelve tribes of Israel. So you can take the conquering for the first twelve chapters and then starting with chapter 13 the, uh, the dividing it up. This was to be the initial fulfillment of the land promises given to Abraham and his descendants. A key theme of Joshua is the necessity of faith in God and obedience to Him. And at the end of the book in the age of Joshua remind the people of God's covenant promises and urge them to continue obeying Him. And, and it's actually worse than that. Well I'm going to highlight that when we get that far. I think a lot of times because um, that famous verse that's on there in all the refrigerator magnets choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord, right? We think what a great ending. Except that choose you this day is, is really indicating uh, a failure on their part and some, some prolonged idolatry that was still taking place and some other rebukes that Joshua was giving them. And almost like Joshua was wiping his hands of them and saying, hey, I'm soon to die and I'm out of here. You guys have to decide what you're doing. So we'll, we'll discuss. It's not as uh, positive as, of a message as it's frequently made out to be. The book of Judges was later written by an unidentified author between 1043 and 1000 BC Jewish tradition in the Talmud says the author was the prophet Samuel. The book covers the time beginning with Joshua's death and ending with the rise of the prophet Samuel. And very frequently we think of him as the last of the judges and the first of the prophets is uh, is an expression that that comes up there. Primary attention is placed on the judges of Israel at that time. The book is called Judges, the Hebrew term for the title, can mean deliverers or saviors. And then there's other expressions as well that sometimes get rendered to uh, to save. This points to the intended role of these judges. The Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. And we'll see there's a cycle, that cycle gets repeated again and again and again through all of their oppressions and through all of their deliverances. Then some of the ugliest stories in the whole Bible show up at the end of the book of of Judges. Ultimately, they were unfaithful to God during this time. And they can't blame the lack of a king because they're going to still be unfaithful once they have a king. (laughs) And uh, other issues there. All right, then the book of Ruth likely written during the time of the judges. that The story takes place during the same era, the same time frame. There's no reason why it couldn't have been written in the same era. Um, some scholars believe the book was written by the prophet Samuel. There's no hard proof of this. Uh, the, the word Ruth, probably a derivative of the Hebrew term uh, reut, which means friendship. Actually the it could mean shepherd or friend or neighbor. There's other expressions for it. The word is appropriate for it describes her character. We will see God pulled off a rather amazing providential miracle in enabling Ruth to settle in the land. And, and really it's a neat, it, it's playing out, demonstrating some of the doctrine that's taught, it's particularly the kinsman redeemer and, uh, and leverant marriage and other things that are taught in the law. There's a, a, uh, a, a living drama of that that's played out in the book of Ruth. Uh, very much so, I, I tend to take it as uh, what the wisdom literature presents us in Psalms and Proverbs then gets a drama presentation in Song of Solomon, for example. So there will be a, a different application there. Stay tuned for those classes. Alright, and then 1 Samuel written by a prophet of the same name sometime after 931 B.C. Samuel was the last and greatest of the judges of Israel. This is where I'm going to have to tweak it a bit and and, and dispute things with with, because um, I think First and Second Samuel were clearly written by the same author, and since the events of Second Samuel come long after Samuel dies, I don't think it's the prophet Samuel who uh, that that anointed David that that, uh, that wrote First Samuel. So anyway, I think Nathan is a much more likely candidate for the writing of First and Second Samuel. He was the prophet that came and rebuked David after the after the Bathsheba incident and other things there. And then chronicles comes after the uh, the uh, captivity and the restoration in the fifth century uh, BC all right these dates do provide helpful chronological orientation uh, fourteen forty six I'm fine with that or fourteen forty five you know one year plus or minus one year is not a not a problem um, much better though, having it in in this century in the fourteen hundreds in the fifteenth century than the liberal date that puts it all in the twelve hundreds okay um, but having the exodus in in the fourteen forties uh camping for a year at Mount Sinai, uh spying out Canaan, the death of Moses uh, you know forty years later, uh the conquest, the judges when they begin their ruling, there's going to be some overlap there, and so um yeah, we might tweak that date a little bit. Othniel, Deborah, Gideon, Samuel. That's just the highlights because there's many more judges than that. Um, but just be aware of the fact that we've got a 400-year window in between the conquest and the, uh, the the selection of Saul. And in that 400 years, we've got a lot of detail to, to try to put in there in sequence. And it is not an easy project. Uh, scholars have been arguing that for 2,000 years and longer. So uh, we're not going to have the final word on that although i'm partial to my own uh, not really i've i've actually this is this is one of the eras that this and the divided kingdom between the uh the the north and south israel and judah those are the uh, the realms i've done the least amount of chronological work with so i will be very dependent upon other sources all right well there we have it that's uh that is Ron Rhodes' introduction. Let me give you my introduction. Um, what I want to really want to spend some time highlighting tonight some of the things that we get from the text. Not the details that we get from the Bible encyclopedias or the journals or the scholars or the uh, the experts and what they say. I'm going to just start with the text. What does the text tell us? And then we're going to make that as a baseline because God cannot lie. And then we're going to use that as we go and evaluate some of the claims that some of the uh, encyclopedias and dictionaries and experts uh, as they tell us. First of all, there's a phrase used repeatedly throughout the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua gives us several temporal markers in the repeated usage of to this day. To this day, when you find it, when you find it a couple times, when you find it a third time, when you find it eight times or more, I mean, you realize: wait a minute, this seems to be significant to the author. The author is fond of it. Not only is the author fond of it, but he uh, he finds it significant to list it so many times. And so we see it, like in starting in Joshua four nine. Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. And that's curious to me. Okay, It's curious to me because um, when we get to the story, we know that they part the river, they walk through, and then once they're all through, the the water is unparted. It's restored back to its normal river status. Uh, But then before he does that, though, he puts this monument there. And I want to know. I mean, could archaeologists find that? Is it still there today? I mean, of course, water's been flowing for 2,000 years. That can wear down a lot of stones. But is there any kind of remnant of anything that could be found there by, um, you know, divers? You know, underwater archaeology is a thing. And uh, and uh, the only thing I imagine would be problematic is the fact that that's the river that forms the boundary between Israel and Jordan. And they've not always been peaceful towards each other. So I'll be curious and Glenn I don't know if you know of any attempt to try to find this monument or not but uh, the stones were there, they may not be there in 2022 but they were there for some period of time uh, up to and including the period of time in which the author wrote this text. Okay, And so once we try to fit the parameters for that uh, we can have some, some ideas. Anyway, so that's, that's the phrase that's used there. And it's used again in five nine, it's used again in six twenty five. So in Joshua five nine, then the Lord said to Joshua, "Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day." All right, well. I guess we would then have to search through the rest of Scripture and find out, you know, was there was there ever a point of time that it stopped being called Gilgal? Was there ever a point of time that it was given a different name? It was called something else in a later epoch, in a later era. That would be good to know. Um, anyway, there's a whole list of these. And as I put those li- that list together, the thoughts struck me that these references are a great opportunity to demonstrate Logos searches, visual filters, and passage lists. So um, I'm going to do that. okay? And I'm going to go back to the very first one there. It doesn't matter, we could do any of them. And, and let's just say you are reading your Bible, you're reading your Logos Bible software, and, and you, you think, man, I've, I've, I've had this phrase before, I've had this phrase a couple of times. I've, you know, here's how you prove that you're not losing your mind. You say, yes, I, I, I'm not losing my mind. I've seen this before. So take your mouse and, and just highlight the phrase to this day. You can do this in the English. You can do this in the Hebrew. You can do this in whatever Bible you're reading. Uh, but since it's coming to us in the English here, let's just start with this. Highlight the entire phrase and then right-click it. Now, this right-click menu can do so many things, it can be overwhelming, Right? And you're going to notice there's a left column and there's a right column. And I don't know if you can see from where you're sitting tonight, but there's a a little orange mark to the left of the thing that's to to the left of one of the things that has been selected there. And you can spot it uh, right there. It tells you the lemma, and you can even see up there it says the lemma. Well, I'm not interested in the lemma at the moment. I, I want to highlight the selection to this day. It's the very top one. The very top one is always the immediate selection. I selected the words to this day. And then as soon as I left click that to this day, now in the right hand column I've got, uh, remember everything in the right column changes based upon what you select in the left column. Okay? So I'm interested in the selection of to this day. And the selection of to this day, now I can do a lot of things with it, including text comparison. I can see how it's rendered in all my Bibles. I can see if there's other different ways that it's rendered or translated, things like that. I can simply copy the text if I want to paste it into a Word document. Or I can do uh, any number of things. Visual copy, highlight, uh, add a note, I did that a little bit ago when I was adding a note to, uh, to the word ordained, okay? Um, or come down here to search. This is what I want to do. I want to search. And I want to do a search through the Bible of that selection to this day. And so I'm just going to hit the word search there, and there we have it. Now, the, uh, that's a lot of results. That's 88 results and 87 verses, but notice I searched through the whole Bible, and maybe I don't want to search through the whole Bible. I'm, I'm just interested in, in Joshua for tonight. Okay, Although I do see, man, there's 88 results. Uh, it might be useful before I go elsewhere, just pull it up on a chart and say, okay, Joshua does cap the list. Joshua is the highest tower on this. Genesis has a few. Genesis has 8. Joshua has 12. Judges has 7. I can see that uh, other authors like 1 Samuel... Second Kings and like that. Also, this can be somewhat misleading um, because some books are larger than other books, right? Some books are huge. And so uh, if you want to get an idea, instead of count per book, do count per book, but also uh, make it proportional per 1,000 words in the book. And you still have Joshua topping the charts. Genesis is not nearly so impressive because Genesis is such a long book. Got so many words, so many chapters and so forth. So um, really Second Kings jumps out more than Genesis at that point. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I want to I don't have to redo the search. I can refine the search. Come back here to my search results and where I'm searching all Bible text. Change it from all passages to Joshua. And now I'm limited only to those 12 results in Joshua. Okay? And again this is uh, just at a quick glance you can see, okay, there's a dozen places now. There's a dozen markers in the text and maybe I want to go ahead and do Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Joshua through Ruth. There we go. 19 results. So that's the 12 in Joshua and 7 more in Judges and none in, uh, in Ruth. Okay. So now we're, now we're spotting them. Now we're, we're finding them. And that's useful. That's useful information. We can, we can see them. Um, we, maybe we can scan down and read through them. Um, maybe we want to um, keep these verses uh, in, in a list, or maybe we want to keep these verses. Uh, maybe there'll be further studies. We want to come back to these verses later on. Maybe we we'll want to have them highlighted, because you'll notice if I close this search window, the highlight goes away. And so if I have to redo a search all over again I can do that. I can uh, bring up my recent searches. There's the most recent one. All right. so now I've brought the search back. And uh, now it's highlighted again. But again, it's only going to stay highlighted as long as I keep the search open. So if you want to keep them marked this way, then go ahead and send these uh, results to a visual filter. Okay, just just name it a, a visual filter here. In your control panel for the search window, you'll have a menu item here that says uh, "Save as a visual filter," and we're just going to call it "To This Day in Joshua and Judges." Clever name, aren't you impressed? Name it whatever you want. Name it Fred. I don't care. But whatever you name it, you just want it to be something that you're going to remember when you're seeing this in a list of visual filters. Okay? And then decide what kind of formatting you want to give it. Say I want it to be blue or brown or gray. Let's just go with a gray highlight. Okay? So now... We can close the search window, and my highlight doesn't go away. It's going to have a gray highlight from now till at least the rapture, or longer, or whenever, whenever you decide to go in and delete your visual highlights. Okay, and uh, you could either delete the visual highlight or you can toggle it on and off. Because this, um, to this day In Joshua and Judges, you can toggle that on and off to your heart's content. All right. One final thing there, too. Um, Beyond the highlight, you may want to actually create a list based on those searches. So, one more time, I'm going to redo the search that I had just finished doing. This is now the third time we've done this search. But it is my most recent search in my search history. There. All right. Now I've done the search again. Now instead of creating a visual filter, I want to save this as a passage list. What's a passage list? A passage list is just a list of passages. Okay. In this case, it happens to be a to this day. In. uh, Again, I'm going to call it Josh, Joshua, and Judges. All right. So now it's a passage list, and you can do a lot of things with a passage list. You can search only those verses if you want. Make that your search range. You can you can um, you can actually open up all of those verses in a custom Bible. So when you say open all, now you have A Bible on the right hand side that is only the to this day verses from Joshua 4 all the way down to the end of Judges, Judges 19. And so you've got you basically have a Bible window now that has 18 verses in it, and that's there for you to read through and use and whatever else you want to do. All right. Maybe to this day is not useful for that, but there are a lot of passages that relate to the Abrahamic covenant or relate to Messianic promises or relate to a topic that you're studying. Uh, maybe you want, you're studying the doctrine of marriage or whatever you're studying and, and you find that these are all the verses in the Bible that address marriage. Put them in a, verse, a passage list and then open them all in, in a Bible panel and, and there you have it. And, uh, and then just read it over and over and over again <laughs> and pray. Alright, so that's the, uh, the application there. Now, working out on this, let me go ahead and remove that. Get our Bible back. Let's uh, pick up on some specifics, because out of all of these, there's a handful that really grab our attention. The one that we read about in Joshua 16.10. In Joshua 16.10 we find out, but they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Okay, I'm gonna have a ton of fun with that when we get to the conquest and when we get to the Book of Judges. Uh, to me, Gezer is one of my favorite towns anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the Old Testament, right? Because I mean, if you think about it, you got Austinites and Houstonians, and and what do you call people from Gezer? Geezers. That's right. But these geezers, uh, they were pretty tough old geezers because they, uh, they couldn't drive them out. But now this fact though is useful for us if we're trying to narrow the scope of when the text could have been authored because there is a later story in the Bible in First Kings chapter 3 when Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house so he becomes, um, it's a political marriage with, with, with Pharaoh of Egypt and the daughter that's provided there, we learn though, so, so the, the wedding actually happens here, but now notice there is a gift that's given. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Okay, What else would you give? For a dowry for um, Solomon's wife, all right. But the fact that the Bible speaks to that event—Pharaoh burns Gezer to the ground and kills all the Canaanites there—that event is useful for us when we're looking at the dating of the writing of the Book of Joshua, because when the author writes the data, uh, the Book of Joshua, the Geezers are still in Gezer. Okay? Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh hadn't conquered it yet. So are you following the logic on this? We're tracking now the, the parameters for this. There's another passage that's stated in Joshua 15.63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah could not drive them out. So the Jebusites lived with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. As the book of Joshua is being written in the time that it's you know canonized and, and, and recorded, at the time the book of Joshua is written the uh, the Jebusites are still in Jerusalem well that's useful to know because again we have information elsewhere second samuel chapter 5 when uh David captures Jerusalem and uh, and the whole story here remember they'd been taunting him that the the, the lame and the blind could defend it so um yeah David says, all right, we'll teach you a lesson on that. And uh, in any event, the fact that David conquers it when he conquers it is another clue as we're establishing the parameters for the writing of the book of Joshua. Also Judges 121, the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Maybe the biggest clue of all is Rahab's lifetime. Um, we're going to see the spies go into the land, they stay in Rahab's house, they promise to rescue her and her family, and then they make good on that promise when Jericho is destroyed. And uh, they conquered Jericho, they destroy the city, kill everybody except Rahab and her family. And it says, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all that she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. For she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And so um, this gets a lot of debate back and forth. A lot of people think, well maybe it doesn't apply to her specifically, it just applies to her and her house or her descendants and and whatnot. But no, specifically she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. Um, People that try to point to Hosea as as a possibly a way to to talk about a wider house and so forth, I don't think that's uh, that's applicable. Yeah, so there's a use about David, their king, years after David's long dead, and that's an idiomatic usage. You can talk about the influence, um, but no, that's that's not what's happening there in Joshua six uh, twenty five. Rahab is still alive when. Um, the book of Joshua is being written. All right. The book of Judges also gives us several temporal markers, and uh, seven of them, to go with the twelve that we have in Joshua. And you see them there, and we've already made a, a verse list out of them. Um, but something else that Joshua does, and this is something that, or that uh, the book of Judges does that's unique to Judges and not Joshua, there are going to be frequent time frames that are mentioned frequent time frames mentioned for the various servitudes and for the various um, uh, interludes or the various times of peace and prosperity that the judges will bring in. So let me just introduce you to some of these. Uh, judges 3.8, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. This is my new favorite name in the Old Testament. Cushan um, Rishathayim no, I still like Swift is the booty, Speedy is the prey. Mahalersh, Mahashalal Hashbaz, I think. Anyway. These are the names you give to the barista at, at Starbucks when they want to put your name on a cup. <laughs> and then you just see how they spell it. But notice, the sons of Israel served Cush and Eight years. So there's a number there associated with the number of years. And and that's helpful because that's helping us chart period of time. In fact, we have so many of these, we have too many of these. And if we're trying to pack all of them in a, in a linear fashion, end-to-end... Um, we're going to end up with a longer time frame than we really can be working with in between 1406 and and 1050. So uh, a lot of times we start to realize that some of these actually overlap, and some of these aren't necessarily sequential. We've got to be careful in, in putting a sequence in there if the text doesn't demand it. Some texts do, but not every text does. And we can realize that some of these judges actually were regional judges, tribal judges. Maybe they were working in the north against a northern oppressor, or they were working in the south against a southern oppressor. And so it may be that some of these judges actually overlapped in their time frame uh, compared to their peers, compared to some of their fellow judges in different things there. And so you just got to realize, depending on what chronology you're reading, some uh, some insisted on having all of these separated and others were fine with overlapping judges in uh, in different places. So uh, just be aware of that. So this then would be something that you could spotlight when you're ready to do your own search on this. You can, it's easy enough to search for the word years, but here's another clue for you. Just look at that number eight and see what you have there. And besides the selection of eight, you would have um, down in here, the morphology of that, you find that it's a numeral. It's a cardinal, singular, absolute. Okay? And you think, why do I need to know that? Because you can search for that. You can search for all of that. Okay? So looking for this numeral, go ahead and search the Bible for the number eight. And actually, not just the number eight, you are actually searching for a cardinal numeral is what you're searching for. And you can come in here and you can change that up. Say, I don't care if it's singular. I don't care if it's... Um, what did I say? Cardinal, singular, absolute. Okay, Let's just leave it as a numeral. Because maybe I want an ordinal and a cardinal. Maybe... um No, that's not gonna do it either. Let me uh, I'm gonna do a better job with this next week. There's a way that you can do this where you can throw in wild cards and get your get your um, all of your your numbers like that. So let's search for the number of years. Of course we're gonna limit it only to judges. Oh, I searched for the wrong thing. Oh, terrible. See? Let this be a lesson to you. I I want to search for the lemma, shana, meaning year. That's what I'm going to search for in the book of Judges. All right, it happens in 23 places. And I'm going to limit it to this number here. Cardinal, single, absolute. And make sure that the number is before the word years. There we go. So I don't care what the number is, it could be any number. Any cardinal number in front of Shana. And those are the places there, and within one word, before one word of Shana. And so you'll see that that gives me 8 years, 18 years, 7 years, all of these uh, usages here. 24 of them in 11 verses. And again, do the same thing. Send this search result to a passage list. And then open all of them. And you'll have a, a summary just like that. Okay, These are the tools and you can you can take these and start tracking them. Actually then add them to a note file. Put a note file together and make your own little notes of the things that you're observing on this. Useful, useful tools for all of these. All right. Frequent time frames for the various servitudes. Eight years to Cushan-Rishathaim, Serving Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Crying to the Lord and uh, he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Into the hands of Midian for seven years. For 18 years they afflicted and crushed the sons of Israel that year and into the hands of the Philistines, 40 years. Not only do you have the oppressions that are marked that way, you also have the deliverances that are marked that way. So this is, you know, uh, at the end of a story when they lived happily ever after? Okay? So we have, after uh, Othniel delivered them, the land had rest for 40 years. Okay? Well, good, glad. Well, unfortunately though, Othniel dies. Okay? So much for their peace. Because this is the cycle that we're going to see again and again and again. But all of the years of their deliverance. The land was undisturbed for 80 years. Wow, that's a significant deliverance. The land was undisturbed for 40 years. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. So these time frames they're very helpful for us in, in setting up a a chronology, setting up a sequence throughout the book of Judges. Also, this wonderful text in Judges 11.26, and this is a a message that uh, Jephthah is actually preaching. And he makes reference as he's talking to these uh, guys that are coming in. Anyway, he makes a reference in in Judges 11.26 as he's preaching, he says, "While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, three hundred years, why did you not recover them within that time?" Okay. So he's he's speaking to the Ammonites, the folks that are invading, and the, the trouble that they're having there, and they've got all these complaints, and Joshua and and uh, Jephthah is saying man, you've had 300 years, what's taking you so long? And now you're taking issue, okay? And beyond you know, who he's preaching to and the argument he's making, the, the, this little detail, this little detail that we might just overlook or, or let it go in passing, actually, this is going to help us. This is going to actually, because we can go back to when, when Moses was leading them through that region on the eastern side and, and when they actually conquered that territory and, and then plot the, the ministry of Jephthah 300 years after that. And I find that useful. All right. The book of Ruth, specifically dated to the period of the judges. You know why I think this? Because Ruth 1.1 says, it came about in the days when the judges governed. Oh, okay. That's the time frame that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Oh, okay. So now I've got a context for this. I have a date set, I have an era, This this is long before the kings, this is when the judges reigned. After the conquest, after they settled, during the time of the judges. When the judges governed, or when the judges judged. Yes, what else would judges do? So we have the time frame there. And it makes sense, okay? Particularly when you break down all the the information of what's happening there. The use of Bethlehem, though, is also interesting because one of the saddest stories in all of uh, the book of Judges features Bethlehem in in one of its elements. So um, this is kind of nice to have something positive related to Bethlehem in, in the book of Ruth. Ron Rhodes' third era can perhaps be summed up by the various statements of no king. Time and time again, we have this statement, there was no king. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it's stated that way again and again. And we're going to have to evaluate ourselves. Is that, is the author of this text lamenting that? Is he said, is this causative for why they had so much trouble? Or is it, is, is there something else he's trying to say with this? So stay tuned. Chapter 18 and verse 1. In those days there was no king of Israel. And so Dan has to do what Dan has to do. 19.1. It came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. There was a certain Levite. Okay? No king. 21.25. In those days, this is how the book of Judges comes to an end. This is the closing verse for the book of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? And so this will be a a focus as we work our way through the book of Judges and and consider what God has designed them for. What was His intent? He gave them the perfect law. Why did He not give them a king? Why did He allow them to settle in their tribes without a king for 400 years? What was the point in that delay? And when they did demand a king, it was ro- it was wrong for them to ask. The uh, Samuel was was grieved over it, and God said, "Well, don't be grieved over it. Here's go ahead and give him this one." And gave him Saul, and then gave him David. Part of what we see when we get to the uh, the, the change from no king to king is it didn't. Um, didn't fix their spiritual life, okay? They couldn't look to a political hero to make them better Christians or better, you know, believers in the, uh, in the Christian way of life. They, um, and and we, we need to, I think it's worth examining for our own application as well. If, uh, if we have a better president, or if we have a worse president, or if, uh, you know, if the, if the politics of America are back and forth or whatever, ups and downs, um, to our liking, to our disliking, okay, as the case may be, what impact does that have on our Christian way of life at Austin Bible Church? Should it have an impact? Should it not have an impact? Should it be utterly irrelevant? Okay? Well the Proverbs actually gives us a clue. And so um, we're going to talk about that as well. But anyway, so stay tuned as as we deal with that. All right. Any final questions? Anything that I've covered? Anything? Um, we're going to cover 400 years in the next 20 classes. We're going to have 20 readings over Joshua, Judges, uh, and Ruth, plus seven chapters of 1 Samuel. So I mean, it's going to go quickly. Joshua will take eight classes. We'll have tomorrow night, and then we'll have seven messages next week, all in all, in Joshua, and that will cover the book of Joshua. Judges will will take seven classes and that'll be the week after. Seven classes in Judges. Okay. Well, I believe I owe you four minutes from uh, last week sometime, so I'm taking it back. (laughs) Thank you, Father, for tonight. Thank you for your grace and faithfulness. Thank you for uh, this study. And Father, uh, just continue to provide um, day by day as we continue our reading. Thank you for being faithful, Father. Help us to use these tools uh, better, in a more effective way, so that we can process the information and, uh, and be blessed. We thank you, Father, and give you the praise and glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.